Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, think of the word sin. So if any man or woman is overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual, we'll talk about what that means, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let, let each man, rather let each one examine his own work and then he will have Rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, even as you've just done a work in my heart, Lord, I've learned new things by studying for this message. I pray, Father, that you will just continue that work in our heart, and rather in my heart so that I can share it with these people, your beloved, holy and beloved by you are these people. Father, I, I pray in Jesus' name, continue that work, Lord, that you've started. Say in your word in Psalm 138, verse eight, I will complete that which I started in you. So, Father, I just pray, believing that that will be happening today, completing that which you've started in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, a number of you were not here when we started the book of Galatians. And for you and, and even for those of you who were here, I want to remind you who Paul is talking to, and really it's the Holy Spirit, who he's talking to in this letter. It's really important for you to understand this letter. You're not going to fully understand this letter unless you understand who it is that he's writing to. In the book of Acts, which is after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts comes, it's a history of the first church. What happened in the very first church? There was a time, you know, where there was the first church ever. Book of Acts is where you look at that. And in that book, in the 13th chapter, the Apostle Paul came into a region which is modern-day Turkey. It was the region of Galatia. That's who he's writing to in this letter. The previous to this letter, he, a few years before, he had come into this region, and he went into a Jewish synagogue, think a Jewish church, and... He went in there, and he was invited to speak. Now, in a Jewish synagogue, every Saturday, the book of the Law of Moses and Prophets was read, what we call the Old Testament. About two-thirds, or even four-fifths, of this book, this big book. Most of it is uh, the Jewish Law and the Prophets, um, and uh, in that synagogue, the central part, Jewish people sat, but around, kind of in the, what do you would call, periphery, the fringe, the outside, uh, non-Jews would listen in. They would come every Sunday or Saturday. They were called God-fearing Gentiles, meaning these people, they, they knew God was there, they could tell just by being there that 
there was light there. They heard the, the book of Moses read, the Old Testament read. They knew there, were, there was truth in it, but they, they didn't want to become Jews. <laughs> Why? Because it all seems so impossible. Because there's 613 laws in this book, and, and these laws would be read from week to week, and what the laws said was in order to be made right in the eyes of God, you were required three times a year during three different seasons, you were, tr- you were required to go to Jerusalem if you were a male, 18 or over, and you should bring your family as well, you were told. Uh, these laws also required you to eat certain things, uh, dress in certain ways. Um, it had um, laws about what, what, what was supposed to happen after you had sex with your, your, your wife or your hu- husband. The laws that, um, that re- required that adult men be circumcised in order to be r- right in the eyes of God. It all seems so impossible. It was impossible, in fact. Jesus made, had made that really clear when he had been ministering, oh, about 15 years before Paul showed up in this region. And so they would be going to the synagogue every Saturday, but then one day in about 45 AD, that's about 12 years after the death of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul comes into this city. There's a guy who used to murder Christians. Now, he, he, and he, he's coming into this city. He is a Jew, and he comes into the synagogue. He's invited to speak, and he gets up in front of him, in front of them, and he says, I have good news for you. The promise that God gave to our fathers has been fulfilled, and I'm here to tell you, it has been fulfilled. And in and, Acts chapter 13, Heather, if we can have this, there's a quote of what he actually says. It says, God has fulfilled. This is him speaking to these people in this Jewish synagogue like 2,000 years ago. He says, God has fulfilled the promise in that he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you, meaning the son of God has come. And I'm, I'm, coming, here, I'm coming here to tell you that. And he told them that Jesus, the son of God, was killed for the forgiveness of their sins, but he was raised from the dead, and now He said to them, you can be made right with God simply by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He's knocking at the door of your heart. Open up your heart. He will come in because he's he's no longer dead. He rose from the uh, dead. He ascended into heaven, and now he will come into your heart. And then this is what he said to those people um, a few years before this letter was written. He said, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is made right in God's sight, something that the law of Moses could never do. That's what he told them. Now, when the non-Jews heard this, keep in mind, again, they had becoming week after week after week, listening to the Jewish law, never becoming Jews, because in their heart they knew they could never follow what was required, they, they saw this. Can we have this again? They, they heard this, this man from Jerusalem. He had, he had authority. He had been a Pharisee. He was a very, uh, he's a very prominent person in the Jewish faith. Um, and he's telling them, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are made right in God's sight, something you could never do by following the law of Moses. And so they hear this, the non-Jews hear this, and they go bananas, basically. (laughs) They do. 
Can we skip down, um, Heather, to the second quote there? It it says that as Paul and Barnabas, this is um, Acts chapter 13, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again next week. They're they're just begging. And these these non-Jews, they're becoming every week, this is impossible, Uh, I I can't become a Jew, I'm not gonna be circumcised, and I'm not gonna be doing everything that the 613 laws tell me to do. Now I'm being told, the Son of God has come, he's forgiven me of my sins if I believe in him, and, and, and he did for me what I could never do, he obeyed the whole law of Moses. Next quote says that the next week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. Almost the whole city did that. And then it says, a a couple verses later there, it says, now when the Gentiles, these are the non-Jews, that's 99% of the world, it's probably 99% of this room. We may have a couple of Jewish folk here. But now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. They believed. And they were saved. They were saved into a glorious relationship with the Lord. Now, maybe you are in this room this morning and like those uh, Gentiles, those non-Jews, you have never become a Christian because you just think you could never be that good, good enough to be a Christian. You could never be that good. It just all seems so impossible. Well, I will tell you this, it is impossible. So impossible that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to do the impossible. Only God, a perfect man, he was fully God, Jesus was, and fully man. He, He obeyed the law of Moses to perfection, and he did it for, for who? For you. He did it for you. And then he went to the cross for you. He died there for you. You deserve to be there. The Bible says you deserve death. You deserve hell. Jesus experienced death and hell on the cross for you. And then he rose from the dead. And I'm telling you here today on the authority of the Bible, if you lay your life into his hands, You're saved for all eternity. That's what the Bible says, believing these things. Saved from what? Again, God says, Bible says, your past sin is so serious. You may not think it is. You may look at and compare your life to everyone around you. If you do that, usually, that's pretty good. But compared to who God is, your sin is a serious thing. Oh, it's serious. Bible says it deserves death and hell. Again, Jesus took that for you on the cross. Now it's time to just open up your heart and say, okay, I'm done, God. I'm done living it for myself. I'm done being my own God. Come in, Lord Jesus, be my God. So again, let's go back to the Galatians. So again, can we have the second quote there, Acts 13, 44? It says, Paul and Barnabas, um, it, says, it says the following week, almost the whole city turned out to hear them, to preach the word of the Lord. Again, next quote. It says, and now they, they, again, that when they heard the good news, they were glad, they, they glorified the Lord, they believed They received eternal life, it says. So these are the Galatians in Acts chapter 13 that Paul's now writing to three years later in this letter that we have that we are reading through in the Bible today. We go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's who Paul is writing to. But so what 
something happened in between the book of Acts chapter 13 and this book of Galatians that you're, you're reading right now. Certain men had come in after Paul had left. He basically, he left the church because he planted church all around. He didn't leave him because it was the wrong thing to do. He was leaving him because God wanted him to plant another church. That's what Christians do. I was just in Peru for three weeks helping out someone who's started a church in the Amazon territory of Peru. Calvary Chapel is a church planning movement, and in and, and the book of Acts, the, you see church after church planned. So he plants a, a, a church, and he moves on. Some men came in to the city. They went into um, the church, and what they did is they came in. They were invited to speak, and what did they say? They saw the people filled with joy, The non-Jews, the uncircumcised non-Jews. Oh, can you imagine? So they, and they, they, they said, now wait a second, not so fast. Yes, it's true that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Yes, he's come. Yes, it's true he died on the cross. Yes, it's true he raised from the dead. But in order to be saved, you have to become Jews, and that means you have to obey these laws. You need to be circumcised, among many other things. And what happened to their joy? It's gone. And a number of them bought it. A number of them believed what they heard. And so they started trying again to follow the Jewish law. And, and uh, essentially, they were, what Paul says in the book of Galatians, they were put back under slavery. So um, turn with me now to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm just going to take you through a couple verses. Eventually, we'll get to chapter 6 where we read, but um, I promise. But um, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, he says this to him. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians. Again, these are the Galatians that they had accepted the truth gladly with rejoicing, but as soon as one false prophet comes in, a, a man telling lies, they just gobbled it up and they believed it. Oh, you foolish Galatian, who has bewitched you? And, and that word witch, it, 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 it literally, it has a demonic thing going on there. And, and the devil's always around um, uh, false doctrine, always. He's always trying to get people to move away from false doctrine. Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Meaning the Son of God, again, as we said last week, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the book of uh, Colossians says he was the creator of all things. So he went out, created a billion, trillion stars. So many stars there are in the universe, we are told. Jesus Christ created every single one of them. But then he loved you so much, he came and he died on the cross for you. Three iron stakes ripped through his body for you to pay for your sin. How are you supposed to add to that? And Paul is saying, you foolish Galatians, you're adding to that what the Son of God did for you? You're, you're doing that? Really? Look over at chapter 4 now, verse 9. And, and, and he's continuing to kind of rebuke them, correct them. Chapter 4, verse 9 says, but now after you have known God, listen, I was there. You guys know God. He says, you have known God. He says, how is it that you turn back again to weak and beggarly elements? How could you do that? Um, um, uh, because you're, you're, what he's saying is, now you're behaving as, uh, like, as a weak person trying to obey 613 laws Anyone's going to be weak. And, and in addition to that, you're behaving like beggars. Oh, God, I know I've done a terrible job obeying your 613 laws, but can I ask you a favor, God? That they're acting like a, um, um, beggars when the Bible says that they're now sons. 
They're now daughters. That they're supposed to be feasting with the Lord, not begging him. And, and this, so this is Paul talking to him. Look at verse 10. It says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. So that is referring to every Tuesday night. I'm over um, about a mile away from here teaching through uh, the Old Testament. You're welcome to join us. But we've discussed exactly what this is talking about. In the book of uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's certain Jewish days, weeks, seasons, years with uh, very specific requirements. And Paul is saying, you guys, you guys are actually trying to obey all those things now. When Jesus Christ fulfilled all of them for you, and, 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 and you, you're, you've, become, you've become beggars. Uh, and so that now, now go to um, chapter 5, next chapter, verse 15. It, it says this. It says, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Now that's going to be very important for what we read in chapter 6. So they had gone from being glad in this unity with one another. Now they're biting one another and they're devouring one another. We'll talk about why. So now go to... Um, Go to verse 26, where it says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And, and this happens. Anytime um, we leave Jesus Christ, can we get the Hebrews, um, uh, Hebrews, one of the best verses in the Bible to keep on your mind every second of every day. I mean, it's like just a preacher speaking. But looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That's what you do. That's what I do if we want to not bite and devour others, complain about others, judge others, and, 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 and think of ourselves as better than others. We just focus on Jesus. But if we start gathering up the law into our life again, if we go from... Um, believing that it's all about grace, it's all about what Jesus did for me, if we go from that very simple place of grace to this other place where we're now trying to obey and be good enough to be with God, we're going to be looking at others and we're not going to get along with them. We're going to be biting and devouring one another. We're going to be, uh, it, it says here in verse 26, it says, um, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We're going to look at, looking at someone else and being jealous of them. This is what happens when you go back under the law, and that's what the Galatians had done. So all of that, an introduction, the chapter 6, verse 1, which says this. I can't tell you how much this verse blessed me studying it. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, meaning any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So let's break down this verse. It starts off, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, meaning if someone has allowed sin, swallow them up. Do you know that's what sin does with you? It swallows you up, and it chews you up, and then it spits you out. That's what sin does. It says, if any man is overtaken by sin, any woman overtaken by sin, what happens when we choose sin rather, to satisfy us rather than God. God will so much better job at satisfying than sin. But when we start satting, satisfying ourselves through sin rather than God, it will overtake us, which is what the verse is used here in verse number one. And it says, if a man is overtaken by any sin, 
well, beat them up. Make a public spectacle of them. Have nothing to do with them. Never let them come back to church. No, it doesn't say that. That's what religious people who are into the law, into under the law, into following human tradition and man-made laws, that's what they do. That's not what you do, Galatians. Don't you do that, Calvary Chapel, is what the Holy Spirit is telling me and you this morning. It says, it, no, it says, don't you do that. It says, rather, if someone's overtaken by sin, if sin has swallowed them up, chewed them up, spit them out, you who are spiritual, the verse says, restore such a one. The church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a museum of saints. And, and, and so it says, you who are spiritual, get the person, man or woman, back into the church. Get them in. With a spirit of gentleness. Now hear me out. Paul could just as well said, when someone falls into sin, someone you love, Treat them the way the Lord has treated you. That's what you do. When someone has been overtaken by sin, maybe they've wronged you. Maybe they've wronged someone out. Treat them the way the Lord has treated you. He could just as well have said that. And, and we know how the Lord is. I know how the Lord has treated you. I know how he's treated you. He's treated you with gentleness. And I'm just not, that's just not theological gobbledygook. That's right out of the word of God. Jesus says, come to me because I'm lowly and I'm what? Gentle. But better than that, I, I, I love this verse. It's also written by Jesus because he's the word. This is David. David was a great man. How did he get great? He's speaking to God here. Your gentleness has made me great. So David, if you've studied his life, yeah, he had a series of sin, didn't he? And every time he was restored in gentleness, but he moved on and he kept on going up <laughs> in terms of his greatness. And, and, and greatness, by the way, it's not talking about how well-known he was or how powerful he was. He's talking about what a man of God he was. Your gentleness, God, has made me great. So someone in your life, someone that you know, is overtaken by sin, what this says, you who are spiritual, restore him with a spirit of gentleness. That's what someone who understands grace does. So, but I want to talk about this word spiritual. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, any trespass or any sin, you who are spiritual, go out and find that person and restore them. It does beg a question, right? Who's spiritual? What does that even mean? What does it mean to be spiritual? So I'm, it, it, this is a really interesting verse because you, you can get, kind of get the answer from this verse. There's, I'm going to say there's many, many ways to answer that question. But for purposes of this message, I say two things, what a spiritual person is. Number one, a spiritual person is, a spiritual person rather, understands that their sin is so serious it took the Son of God coming to earth and being crucified in order to deal with that sin. That's serious. I mean, think about it again. I don't, know, I don't want to wear this thing out, but he created a thousand, and rather, a, a billion trillion stars, and your sin is so serious that he, had, he personally had to come to earth to deal with your sin. A spiritual person is someone who gets that. I have to say, it usually takes a few years, if not many more, for someone to really get that. Number two, a spiritual person understands 
that they themselves are capable of any sin. Now this, this disqualifies most people from being spiritual. Most people in the church. I'm not talking about ours. I'm talking about generally. A spiritual person understands that they themselves are capable of any sin. Look back at chapter 5, verse 16. Go back in your Bibles to chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Paul says this famously, if, if you were not able to listen to these messages, they're all online. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. A spiritual person, hear me, listen please, a spiritual person knows there's a battle going on inside of them between the spirit and the flesh. But a spiritual person knows, or I should say, and, not but, (laughs) and a spiritual person knows just how bad their own flesh really is. They know it. And they know it Because, well, we read it. Let's read about it. Verse 19. Verse 19 is a fact. It's just a fact. The flesh. This is a description of your flesh, Calvary Chapel. Every single one of you. The flesh, verse 19, the work of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, that's sex outside of marriage, uncleanness, lewdness. We went into all these last week idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry. And, 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 and so a, a spiritual person gets it. They know how bad their flesh is and they know that they have the capacity to do any one of those things listed in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now, a spiritual person, we're talking about a spiritual person, also knows, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They know that that... That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They know that the Spirit of God can defeat the flesh, but they're still very aware that if they do not fix their eyes on Jesus Christ, they have the capacity for doing anything in this list. I tell you, one of the most beautiful days ever in this church was, was and we've had many, but it was a long time ago. It was over 15 years ago. We had a young lady in the church give, get up on a Sunday morning and give her testimony. And she gave her testimony, and part of her life, uh, you know, it was a downward spiral. She got addicted to crack cocaine, and then she moved into Chinatown, which used to be the prostitution district. And she just prostituted herself. This is a woman who came to our church. She was part of our church, week after week. And um, she described also dancing, you know, for, for, for several years. And it was just such a powerful, te- it was unbelievably powerful testimony. She's in the middle of dancing and she's looking around and she's realizing for the first time ever, this place is really evil. And that started driving her to Christ. Well, after the service, and, and, and it, was, it was a very small group at that time. There's probably 30 or 40 people. But you got the deep sense that, that there was such a beautiful spirit in the room. And the reason was, I'm convinced to this day, every single person in that room knew. They knew that that could have been them. And that was a work by the Spirit of God, by the way. It's just something that only God can do in a man or woman's life. But, but, but I'm telling you, can we get back to, uh, uh, Heather, can we, what is a spiritual person? 
So this, this, number one, they understand that their sin is so serious it took the Son of God coming to earth and being crucified. Number two, they understand that they're capable of any sin. So again, verse one, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any sin, any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I, anytime I hear the person say, and by the way, happens almost every week. It happened this past week. I hear someone say, oh, that sin, I would never do that. Every time I say that, I, I just shudder. The person's gonna fall in one way or another. When you say something like that, you're gonna fall. Or another one, you know, I've done some bad things when I was a kid. I did some bad things, but I never did that. Well, that's because you're living now. You're, you're old now. If you were young now, you would be doing the same thing. And, 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 and so um, just stop that. Uh, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, many of you are familiar with this. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to walk around terrified all day that we're going to go into sin. That's not God. That's not peace. That's not joy. But it's just a healthy awareness that our flesh is a dangerous thing. And it's in us until we get glorified bodies when at the time that Jesus comes or we die, whichever comes first. And so, um, again, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, you who are spiritual, restore such a one Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So let me, let me next say this. I tell you this verse, there's so much in it. You wonder where you are spiritually? The Bible actually says, and uh, the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, um, it says, examine yourself. We're supposed to do that every once in a while. You know? We're not supposed to be living in condemnation. We're not supposed to be thinking about past sin and dwelling on it. But it does say from time to time, and examine yourself. But I'm going to ask you to do that right now because I, I, I tell you what, you can know where you are spiritually based upon what your reaction is when someone falls into sin. You get angry. Look what you have done. You're just showing your lack of spirituality. That's not God's reaction when you fall into sin. All God's anger went on to Jesus on the cross. Is God angry at sin? Oh, bet you he was. <laughs> That's why this, he sent his son and, and to, to pour out his anger on his son. It's a terrible thought. The Bible says that's what happened. But now your relationship with God is not based on God getting angry with you. It's based on him breaking his heart. His heart's broken for you when you sin. When someone around you sins, if you are thinking about them the way God thinks about, you're hurt because there's something inside of them that caused that sin. It's messed up bad. The Bible calls it death. Death is at work somewhere in their life, and that's a scary thing. It's a ruined, a soul that's at least partially ruined. You want to know how spiritual you are? Just how do you react when people um, fall into sin? Uh, do you shake your head in disgust? You've got to be kidding me. Again, that person did that? Again, they did that sin? You're kidding me. You're just showing your lack of spirituality. I'm speaking to my own heart, by the way. God's not disgusted with you when you sin. When you're sent, he's not disgusted. You're a son. You are a daughter. You are blood bought. The, 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 the back of his son was ripped open by a Roman whip to purchase you. That's, that's how precious you were in God's sight. He's not looking at you with disgust when you sin. When a person sins, do you want to have nothing to do with that person? I'm just done. I'm done with them. Uh, 
from time to time, someone over the years, some people in this church go up to me and say about someone else in this church, I'm done with her. Uh, where did you learn that? I hope you didn't learn that from something that I said. God is never done with you. God's never done with you. He... He, God is, what God, what, what's going on with God and, and what, what, what he's saying to you when you sin over and over and over, he's not saying, I'm done with them. He says, I went to the cross. I was cut off from my father. I, went, I was in pitch darkness with no clothes on naked and I was naked. I cried out to, to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he forsake me, he forsook me because I tasted hell for you. I'm not done with you. I want you. That's what I went through for you. That's God's attitude towards you. If any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. And by the way, this just goes for absolutely everyone, no matter how evil and wicked they are. You know, recently I was in, I, I, I've been involved in a very unfortunate situation where um, someone in a church, a, a, a person who was a pastor, um, basically divided his church basically took half his church, went somewhere else, and, and it's a big, gigantic mess. And I gotta, if you read the Bible carefully, I gotta tell you, people who do that, there can hardly be anything more wicked. Dividing the body of Christ and ripping it in two? You gotta be kidding me. But I was going out, and uh, I, I was praying, and I was just... Um, uh, I wasn't even thinking about that situation, but I was uh, just so dry in my prayer. I'm just trying to pray, and I'm like not into it. I'm like thinking about other stuff, and whenever that happens, I say, okay, Lord, tell me what's up. There's got to be something wrong. And you just brought up this person's name. Just the way you're thinking about him. And I know that he, what he's done is, is terrible, but that's not your business to be thinking about him in an in a unloving, even hateful, angry way in your heart. Anger, by the way, Jesus says, is the root of hatred. So it, it, you shouldn't be doing that. I had to repent. It doesn't matter how bad, how wicked a person is. It doesn't matter what the politician is zealously going after this completely anti-Bible thing that they're going to do. It's not your responsibility to be despising them in your heart. You're not going to be able to pray to the Lord. You're not going to be able to have a relationship with the Lord if that stays there. Verse 2, yes, we're finally there. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, until I taught this, which is today, I didn't realize that this is talking about something very specific. Yeah, it's not talking about helping your neighbor out because they're moving and they don't have anyone to help them. Should you? Yep, yeah, there's Bible verses about that. This is talking again about sin. It's directly connected to the first verse. So it's talking about someone with a burden of guilt, someone with a burden of shame because of their sin. Or they're in denial. They're making up all kinds of excuses. That means they're in darkness. Do you know how burdensome darkness is on a person's life? The burden of excuses. Well, I did it because of this and I did it because of that. Listen, you have got to find a way to bear that burden with them to love them, even when they're in a place like that. The burden of lies. Lying brings death into your life. And I gotta tell you, when someone uh, that, uh, that, um, that you love is lying, I, I, they are, again, they are just inviting death into their, they're ruining their soul. 
And, and this is saying, what if this is saying, somehow try to find a way to love them. Does that sometimes mean challenging them and confronting them? Yes. But it's saying you bear one another's burdens. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He deceives himself. And this happens, by the way, I'm going to circle way back to our introduction when we start bringing the law into our lives. When Christians leave that place of grace where it's Jesus plus nothing and they start developing law systems, Christian systems, and, and we can do it so easy. Now, the Galatians did it by they start trying to obey seasons and days and get very meticulous about them, travel to Jerusalem. They did it by being circumcised, but Christians developed their own Christian systems which just become law systems. I mean, you, you, you take, <laughs> we can do it with anything, believe me, dating. If you date someone, you should first hang out with them in groups. You should never try to meet someone online. You should never kiss someone before being married. You should never date someone for more than a year without being, uh, without, without at that point either breaking up or getting engaged, boom. And it, the list goes on and on. And I tell you, there's good wisdom in all of them, but they're not laws. But they become laws in the Christian world. And pretty soon, what happens? People start backbiting each other. Someone falls into sin. Someone falls in, a couple falls into serious sin. And instead of going to them in a spirit of gentleness, it's like, boom, boom, let's have a flesh pile. They didn't do what our law said. We do this all the time. We do it with churches. I was talking to one pastor one time. Well, we don't do solos at our church. Because a solo at doing music, it's bringing attention on one person. Another pastor I know, um, no testimonies in church because that's given a human being um, focus rather than God. Or, or, or we don't pass a plate for offering. We're so spiritual and that's how every church should do it. Or, or we, we do uh, communion every single week like we should. Or, or no, no, you do, we do it four times a year. You see, and, 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 then, and then what happens? Uh, uh, the pastor falls or the church, something bad happens. And instead of being a part of their restoration, instead of going to them in a spirit of love. I know we're running out of time, but we have a lot of parents. Parenting, I get Christian parenting is just, oh, whoa. You talk about developing systems of law. Christian parents must homeschool. Christian parents must send their kids to public school. Christian parents must never spank their kids. Christian parents should never spank their kids. Christian parents should never let their kids be on social media. Christian parents shouldn't let their kids have phones. Christian parents should never let their kids be on a computer more than one hour a day. And it goes on and on. And, and then what happens? One of the kids falls into sin or one of the parents falls into sin. And all of a sudden, there's no spirit of gentleness. They're just beating up and criticizing them and mocking them, gossiping about them. Why? They were under the law. We're rid of all that. We're freedom. We spent two chapters in Galatians 4, um, um, Galatians 4 and 5. We are no longer slaves to legal systems. We've been freed of that. And then it goes on in um, verse 4. It says, let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. Meaning, mind your own business, keep your eyes on the Lord, and always love everybody. Would the worship team please come up? We're gonna have communion. <laughs> We're gonna have communion at this time. All right, thank you, Lord. So communion is a time... If, you, if you've been asked to pray, if you can please come up as well. Communion is a time where 
Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says communion is a time where we examine ourselves. <laughs> and if, we, if I was talking about something that you know it's in you, I'm talking about something and I know it's in me. What you do before communion is, it, you don't say, well, I'm not going to take communion, I get this thing. No, no, you just say, Lord, this is me, I'm, thank you for the cross, thank you for the blood, thank you for uh, the body that was broken for me. And then you take communion. That's why it's so wonderful. This is, this is, we're remembering the, 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 uh, uh, the grace of God and what the, the cross purchased for us. So what we're going to do, you're, please stand um, for the close of worship song we have. Your communion, uh, because the, the grape juice and the wafer, it's underneath your chairs, it should be. And so, so there's one piece of, piece of plastic for the wafer, and there's another piece of plastic for the grape juice. So... We're going to sing this song, we're going to have communion, and we're going to dismiss the service. But if there's, if there's something that we talked about today in the message that you just like prayer for, like this thing is to, this thing that, uh, about me really thinking I have the capacity to do anything in that ugly list, fornication, idolatry, sorcery, man, that's not me. Come up, I'll pray for you. Or anyone up here will pray for you. The Bible says it's true. Sometimes it takes a while between truth going from here to here. Or if you don't feel like you have, if you don't think you've come to the place in your life where you understand just how serious your sin, sin was. Because of your sin, Jesus, after creating a billion trillion stars, came to earth to live for you and then to die a very, very suffering death. The physical pain was only a tiny part of it compared to the judgment of God that he took. Then he rose from the dead. But if you don't really feel like you have that proper sense of connection between your sin and what Jesus did, or if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I didn't start walking with God until I was 24 years old. That's when I started reading the Bible, by the way. You can come up. It's a prayer of faith. That's what it is. A prayer of faith. Or anything else you'd like to, to, uh, to pray for, prayer to communion, come on up. Uh, if you're in our leadership team and you see everyone up here is engaged in prayer, please come up and be a prayer partner. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this message. It's amazing to me, Lord, just one verse, how much comes out of it. Your word is living and powerful. We thank you, Lord. I just pray that you would complete what you've started during our time of communion.